Blog Talk Radio.
lights in the skies broadcasting lies to billions of people. Cameras on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. that each and every one of us have. And it's a non-delegatable, open-ended obligation. That means you can't delegate it to your mother or your father or to the guy down the street that knows a lot of stuff about politics. Uh, And you can't think like I did at one time that because you had served your nation that you get a free ride uh, after uh, after your discharge because... There is no free ride. Your job is never done. Safeguarding our freedoms and liberties is never finished. It's never completed. It's always there for us to safeguard. It's always there for us to to ensure that we don't lose. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening 
tonight. We've got uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. They'll be on the show in just uh, a little while. And Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, for those of you guys that don't know them, are a great team uh, of folks who have been working the last few years to spread the knowledge of becoming self-reliant with medicine and first aid. And they do an absolutely fantastic job of it. They're easy to listen to. They're about the nicest folks uh, you'll ever meet. And uh, they have been working tirelessly to spread this information. So I will be talking about collapsed medicine, and that is what you can do when you find yourself in a situation of cessation of services, how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do to make sure that uh, that you can provide first aid and care to yourself and to your loved ones, to your friends, your family, and to others, all right? So we're going to be talking about that in a little while. And one of the things I'd like to talk about right now, too, is uh, we met a lot of folks at the NRA convention. And uh, and several of the folks are going to end up being uh, guests as we go along in the next couple of months. And uh, one of those folks is Lucinda Bailey from uh, Texas Ready Seeds. And uh, Texas Ready Seeds is a company that <clears throat> provides uh, ready-made seeds in custom packages for uh, for individuals or groups. And the thing about their seeds is that the seeds are heirloom quality seeds. That means that they are not hybrid, they're not GMO seeds. And uh, the thing about a seed being an heirloom quality seed is that once the plant has fruited, and it's, uh, you've made your crops, you can take the seeds and harvest the seeds and use them again to get the exact same seed. And this is a, this is a very important thing for you to be able to do in a cessation of services type situation. Uh, and she'll be the guest on the show in, uh, in the coming weeks. And I think it's going to be a show that you're really going to like because the show isn't just about seeds. But it's about planting seeds. It's about a whole philosophy of of planting seeds, of growing crops, of uh, living your life in a certain way. And as uh, Apathy Project folks, we're, we're already trying to do that. We're trying to live our lives in a certain way and give back to the community. And uh, and she is going to do. She's going to talk to us about that in depth. Now, another another guy I want to talk to you about is. Uh, is uh, Dr. Uh, uh, I call him uh, Dr. Merriweather, but he was on the show uh, a few weeks ago. He'll be on the show again in uh, July. And he has a page, which is Merriweather's Guide to Edible Wild Plants of Texas and the Southwest. And you can get that, you can get there by Googling uh, foragingtexas.com, foragingtexas.com. And you get the information uh, off his page there on animal wild plants of Texas and the Southwest. And this, the page 
has a wealth of information on it because once again, this isn't uh, this the philosophy of foraging isn't one uh, just of of trying to figure out things you can eat in a uh, breakdown collapse situation. Whenever I talk to you guys about the, about self-reliance and survival type stuff, I'm talking to you about it uh, in the with the with the ideology of of using it not just uh, when times are tough, but using it throughout your whole life. You know, you can uh, you can go and gather wild edibles today and supplement your your diet with things that you can get uh, from, and it doesn't even have to be uh, out completely in the wild. It can be things that you can find around your suburban neighborhood. All right, so take a look at the page. That's uh, foragingtexas.com. <clears throat> and uh, like I said, he'll be our guest uh, in just a few weeks in July. Uh, we'll have Sheriff Richard Mack on the show in the next couple of weeks. He's going to talk to you about the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. They're having a meeting, uh, I believe it's at the end of the month here, uh, and this is going to be a very important meeting. Uh, we've talked to you guys before about the about the importance of making sure that your county sheriffs are on board uh, as the county sheriffs being the most powerful law enforcement, uh, the head of law enforcement, for your county, they're the top of the line there, and and making sure that they that your local sheriffs have heard about this and understand the importance of their place in uh, supervising law enforcement procedures in your county. All right, then I'm talking about law enforcement procedures and. Uh, and situations. I'm not talking just about local level stuff. I'm talking about um, the way that the federal government handles itself when it comes into a county and does work. Because the the county sheriff is, like I said, he's at the top of the of the list there, and uh, and it's very important. That the that your local sheriffs hear about this information and then get on board about it. That's going to be uh, uh, I don't have the date yet worked out for him, but but that will be in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, and then we'll have uh, uh, Wayne Thompson on near the end of the month, and he's going to be talking about the border problems that we have, border security, and the problems with illegal immigration and uh, and the problems that it's causing. And I'm not talking about it in a political way. Uh, I'm talking about uh, actual problems that are being caused by our uh, 
by our unsecured borders and by illegal immigration. Uh, real quick, let me let me insert in here sheriffmac.com. That's for his or Sheriff Mac's page, sheriffmac.com. And if you guys will uh, uh, take a look at his page and what he's talking about, then that can help guide you in talking to your own county sheriffs, all right? And uh, he's real easy to talk to and he's real approachable. Uh, if you want to contact uh, Sheriff Mac, you could do so from that page. And, uh, and if you want to help out, if you want to help out with the Constitutional Sheriff's Peace Officers Association, you can also donate uh, from that page. All right, and uh, I want to thank all of the folks who... Uh, who were working at the NRA convention a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had a great NRA convention uh, team put together, and I think that I think that uh, we did a good job on contacting the uh, the all the representatives nationwide for uh, uh, for the industry aspect of it, uh, and as far as contacting. The local folks, especially here in Texas, we have made a lot of contacts here. We're still following up on the on these, and uh, and hopefully, we'll end up acquiring several new ranges because of uh, the contacts made at the the NRA convention. And uh, if you are part of the NRA convention team, and uh, you have any uh, any contacts that uh, that you would like to forward to me from Texas, then uh, I'll be glad to handle those too. We, it looks like we have uh, several ranges that uh, want to get on board. And I just got a uh, note from Slim today saying they talked to the folks at Carter's Country and that uh, and that they were. Uh, looking at talking to us about it, which is great because I've talked to Carter's Country many times, and I even was uh, trying to rent the range last year. So I thought maybe if I could just rent the range and get folks to come, then they would they would see the uh, the value and the validity of the program, and they would end up uh, putting pressure on the the range to allow us to host events there. But uh, did not have any luck at that, so I'm hoping that Slim's contact will work out so we can get uh, the Ranger Carter's Country on board. Uh, that'll be the closest range that we have to Houston uh, so far. And if any of you folks listening, if you can get, if you can speak to any of the Rangers in the Harris County area and the Houston area, if you can get them on board, that would be fantastic. We're still, we're still short on locations in any of the metropolitan areas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in San Antonio, in Austin, and in Houston. Uh, and these are the the population centers. So if we could pick up some ranges there, that would be fantastic. So if you have any information on that, uh, you can forward it to me, and uh, you can send it to my email. That is range scout. R A N G E S C O U T at Hughes H U D H E S dot net. All right. 
or you can just give me a call at uh, 254-217-1325. And uh, let me know if you hear of anything. And we'll try and get them on board. We're still searching for that uh, for that one big range in any of the metropolitan areas where we can start holding events. Uh, right now, we have ranges that are uh, all the ranges are at least an hour away from any of the metropolitan areas. Other than uh, the DFW has a couple of uh, small ranges that are closer than that, but they're still fairly far out. And I know that's a it's a problem to get a firing range in a metropolitan area, simply because it's by virtue of it being a a built up and populated area, it's hard to get it's hard to find places where you can shoot. But they are there. And there are some private lands uh in the area that we could possibly use. So if you have if you know anyone that has private land and they'd be willing to host an event then uh, we would love to have, I'd love to get that information too. We'd love to have them uh, host an event on their private land. Uh, And if you would like to, uh, we've got a few minutes left before uh, Dr. Bones and Nursing to come on. If you would like to, to call in and thank any of your local crews, any of the local folks running events, then uh, we'll be glad to take your calls. And once Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy call in, we'll be glad to take any of your calls or questions in, too. The call-in number is 347-308-8790. All right. Uh, I'd also like to see that I've got uh, a friend in the chat room, and that is uh, Travis Johnson. And uh, I'm typing. And uh, Travis Johnson runs a, uh, a survival school in the Northwest, in, in uh, Washington, and he is going to be our guest on the show in the upcoming weeks, too. He's going to talk to you about the things that you can do to, uh, to keep yourself alive in uh, rough spots, rough situations. If you find yourself uh, uh, out on the trail, then uh, he's going to be talking to you about that. And I want to say hi. I can see that he's in the, uh, he's in the chat room. So, Travis... Thanks, and uh, look forward to having you on the show in the uh, the next couple of months. Uh, And I want to thank, once again, I want to thank the the NRA folks for the work that they did at the convention and remind folks that we have the rifle that is put out by Marlin and... uh, it's the Appleseed Signature Rifle. It's in the Marlin catalog. So if you go to the uh, the Marlin website, let me, let me see if I can pull that up real quick and give you the uh, give you the address to that. Okay, it's MarlinFirearms.com. MarlinFirearms.com. You look at their 
their catalog, and you'll find a picture of the apple seed uh, .22 rifle, the apple seed Liberty rifle, right there in their catalog. And uh, what we'd like to do is have folks start uh, putting in orders for this rifle because Marlin has they've gone out on our limb here by sponsoring Appleseed and they've created their rifle specifically for us. So we'd like to make sure that uh, that we are purchasing that rifle because uh, I think I spoke to you last week about this. <clears throat> Whenever a company uh, does something like this, whenever they, uh, when they, okay, I'm still working on the on my website here, but like looking at the or the catalog myself. Whenever they do something like that, put out a rifle, then uh, they're going out on a limb because they don't know if the firearm's going to sell or not, and. Uh, and we want to make sure that uh, they are paid back for their uh, for their gamble by us purchasing the rifle. And uh, most of us are uh, most of us are purchasing uh, additional rimfires anyway. And uh, I know that. Uh, I know that uh, I have five now that uh, I use for for loaning up to uh, to shooters who show up, and uh, I'm going to be purchasing one of the Liberty rifles as soon as I can. It's a model 795, and it has the Appleseed logo on the rifle, and uh, the. 795 has proved itself on the Appleseed firing line for the last few years. At first, I was a little bit skeptical of it, but it has proved itself over and over on the firing line. It's a very dependable rifle, a very uh, simple and reliable system. Uh, it's a magazine-fed rifle, much in the same way as the 1022, the Ruger 1022s that we use. And, uh, and the price is comparable. And the accuracy is uh, is very much uh, is very uh, it's a very accurate rifle. Like I said, very reliable. So I want to make sure that folks are getting their orders in for the rifle and uh, and letting Marlon know that uh, their chance, their taking a chance on the Appleseed Project was a good gamble. <clears throat> All right. Uh, like I said, if you want to call into the show tonight to to talk to Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, then uh, the call-in number will be 347-308-8790. All right? And... Uh, Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and uh, you can uh, you can ask them uh, questions and uh, talk to them. I'm going to bring uh, while we're waiting here. I'm going to bring uh, Jim Heath on the line, and 
and we're going to chat just a few seconds about them because I worked with Jim and Kim at the Soap Alliance Expos uh, over the last couple of years, and uh, Dr. Bowman and Nurse Amy have been very, uh, they've been very good friends to the Appleseed Project. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey. Here. Well, thank you. I really didn't want to talk with you, though, but I'd be glad to. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for the other two. <laughs> well, uh, they're going to be on in just a second when they come on. That's okay. You can uh, you can talk to them too. But I wanted okay, to uh, I just wanted to to talk with you for a few seconds about this because we uh, you and I have worked the self Hunt expos uh, several times over the last couple of years. And uh-huh. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, they're great folks. They're just and I was telling folks earlier, they're about the nicest folks you'd ever meet, and uh, and they've they've been really helpful with us as far as uh, uh, being willing to support Appleseed, and uh, and I'd like for the Appleseed folks to do the same thing. That is, uh, I'd like for them to support Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy by listening to their podcast. Now they do a uh, podcast that. Uh, uh, this actually is just, it's a fantastic uh, podcast they put out, and uh, you can find it at doomandbloom.net, doomandbloom.net. And uh, I'd like for you guys to listen to their uh, their podcast too. Uh, and uh, they'll be on in just a minute. Now while they're waiting, I'm going to bring on. Uh, uh, Johnny, he said he had something he wanted to say before the show, before we get started with him. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hold on, let me give my head to call him. Hey, Scout. Hey, how's it going? I'm good, man. We're driving through Maryland at the moment. Okay, where are you headed to? Oh, man, right now we're headed to Ramsour. I, uh, I'm a shoe boss in Southern California. I'm on a bit of a summer vacation, a little forced vacation from work, so I picked up a uh, another shoot boss, Mr. Pete, in Orlando, and uh, drove up and shot the Eastern Games at Camp Butler, and then drove on up to Boston to walk Battle Road. And now we're headed back down to uh, meet up with Wildman at the Ransor Range and spend a couple days there. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, man. Well, listen, absolutely I, uh, I hope you, have, you guys have a great uh, time on your on your summer vacation, on your adventure, and uh, and be sure and let me know when you're headed back to Texas because I'd like you to stop by on your way back. Absolutely. On his way out, he stopped. Uh, Johnny stopped and helped us set up at the Arlington Expo, and so he was there yeah. to, uh, Thursday, I believe. And, yeah, uh, Thursday. Was a great help to us. Yeah, thank right. You. Right, and uh, he told me he was uh, he was in his van, he had his van filled with gear, and he didn't feel safe about leaving it uh, anywhere there, and he took off. I wish I would have known. Yeah. I would have sent you over to one of our uh, one of our other instructors' houses there in Dallas, and you could yeah. have been uh, could have been safer there. Well, listen, guys, I've got uh, Doctor Bones uh, in the uh, calling queue, and I want to bring him on the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and for you folks. Like I said, if you haven't heard of uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy before, they are some of the uh, some of the nicest folks you'd want to meet. With uh, an absolutely fantastic uh, program that they have, DoomAndBloom.net, and uh, and they are sharing their considerable experience and knowledge with folks every week. 
And uh, Dr. Bones, welcome to the show. Hey, Scout. It's Nurse Amy. How are you? Hey. Yeah, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, we're just wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting us on your show. We're really excited to be here. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys uh, taking time out of your day to come on the show because uh, I know that you guys are you're no different than any of the rest of us. You've got uh, a million things to do. Whenever I, uh, <laughs> when I called to remind uh, Nurse Amy earlier, she was... Uh, she was doing chores in her greenhouse, so I know that I know that everybody's got uh, stuff they want to do. But I appreciate you guys coming on the show, and uh, and I would like for you guys to first off just tell us uh, a little, tell the folks that are listening a little bit about yourselves, how you got started, and what you're doing, and what you guys do uh, to help your fellow man. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to let you know, um, Dr. Bones will give you a history of how we got started, but I'm a uh, advanced registered nurse practitioner. I have a master's degree from down here. We're living in sunny South Florida. I went to University of Miami for that program. Uh, it was also a dual degree. I'm also a certified nurse midwife, which may come in handy one day if people are having babies without hospitals. So I'm, I'm glad I've got at least that knowledge that I can share and help the community with. Um, but I'm going to let you tell them how we got into preparedness, darling. Absolutely. Well, I'm a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and the American College of OBGYN. Um, delivered a lot of babies when I was young, and as I got older, I just sort of uh, morphed into uh, more of a belly button and below surgeon kind of deal. Uh, we, Well, we've always been hurricane preparedness guys we would live here right on the edge of the majestic florida everglades uh, big swamp basically but yeah we experienced hurricane andrew which i think for a lot of people it, it may have faded in their memory because everyone sort of thinks of, of katrina as one of the biggest disasters that this country has had but let me tell you andrew was a huge wake up um, i don't think there was as much publicity about the disaster, but there were, you know, thousands of people without food, without water, without electricity, without shelter, without medical care um, for a very, very long time. And, you know, instead of us being the normal, you know, one week or, or two week preparedness because of hurricanes, you know, we realized that, that these disasters could last much, much longer and that people would not have access to modern medical facilities. Possibly the ambulances just couldn't get in there. There weren't um, the the people who got into Katrina. They didn't have the kind of response. And so a lot of people were without medical care, and, and that sort of made us think about, you know, what would these people do without the knowledge? I mean, just the average person doesn't have medical knowledge. You know, you, it's no, sort a, of a... a <laughs> that's a great point because you know the the storms like Katrina and Andrew and stuff like that they fade from a lot of folks' memories. They usually don't fade from the memories of the folks who went through it. And, right. And I understand because you know that's one of the things that got me started was Katrina. And uh, so so you guys, I know that uh, you have been your the show that you put out, Dim and Bloom, has been running for what the last. I've been listening to you guys for about the last three years, and uh, but you have been you have been doing it for a lot longer, right? 
we've, we've been, been living doing... that lifestyle. Exactly. Uh, we really have, uh, and we Andrew know... was in what ninety two. Yeah, yeah August of ninety two was really our wake up, and then, um, you know, some other things have happened since then. I mean, we've had a lot of scares from uh, different types of influenza viruses that have mutated. Um, one particularly um, about five or six years ago, I think that was the H1N1. Right, the swine flu. The swine flu. Um, for us, you know, my husband, Dr. Bones, is very into history, and I've been very lucky that, you know, he's shared uh, lots of, of that information with us. But what we referred to was, you know, the mm -hmm. Spanish flu mm -hmm. and the percentage of people who perished and sort of um, applying that to today's world, if we had that sort of death rate with um, a virus, I know there's a couple of them right now that are in the news that they're sort of worried about that have about a 30% death rate. Thankfully, they're a little isolated right now. Hopefully, they will not become a global concern. But if it does, because of our our means of transportation, I mean, if somebody with a virus gets on a plane, those people depart, and then they fly to all different destinations. You know, something that jumps very easily from human to human contact, which is obviously what they're looking for. Um, now it's what we've had so far has not easily transmitted, so we've been very lucky. You know, you would have to have been working on a chicken farm or working with, you know, the type of animal that had that virus. But if it did mutate to become easily transmittable, we could be facing serious issues with a lot of people sick or dying, hospitals filled. Um, you know, these flus become so serious that people have to be hooked up to respirators. Well, if you counted well, no. the number, right? If you counted the number of respirators that are, you know, just in this country, they're not enough to keep everyone alive. And so there's going to be people who need these conditions and and can't get them. Right, right. Well, you know, you speak about historically about it, and I got to say that uh, if you read about that time period and you read about what the um, what the influenza did back in history, it, it just it's so sad because uh, they didn't have modern medicine to help. And you have guys, dead American soldiers, uh, you know, three thousand guys on a boat uh, sailing to Europe to fight in World War One, and you have uh, 150 of the guys get off the boat alive. And uh, it just, it's just horrible. Well, the bottom line is that a lot of people that are, are listening to your program right now are probably pretty well prepared with regards to the beans and bullets, but a lot, of, a lot of them haven't really thought much about the bandages. And so our job is very simple to identify those people that are going to pick up the flag and take medical responsibility for their loved ones in times of trouble, and we want to make them uh, better medical assets uh, than they are now. And and this is what our book is about. This is what all the articles that we write on our website are about. This is what we talk about on our show. And we are here to give people a head start or at least offer people a head start in being able to take care of medical issues that they're going to encounter in situations where help might not be on the way. Right. So basically, it's, it's helping them become their community medic. We firmly believe that no one can or should try to 
survive any type of, of calamity, we'll call it, just as a general word, by themselves. It's very, very important that we all learn this information so we can help each other. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Say there, say that uh, uh, that there is some type, and usually what I call it is a cessation of services, because we we depend on services on on all fronts for us to uh, for us to receive help or food or or water or power, etc. If we don't, if we have a situation where that has ceased, we no longer receive help from outside, or if we do, it's a rather limited help. Uh, Tell us about tell us about what we can do, or first of all, what would what would we expect to face in those kinds of situations? I know that people talk about things like uh, viruses and stuff like that, but we can talk about that in a minute. But it, it's just uh, from from my studies of uh, situations where there have been cessation of services or or uh, government collapse and stuff, it's it's usually the little things that end up killing everybody. Tell us uh, about what we would need to think about if we were trying to take care of ourselves. And it doesn't have to be forever and ever, but even just for uh, a week or a month. Well, think about some of the activities of daily survival that you would have to perform in a grid-down situation. You'll be, let's say, chopping wood. You'll be uh, out in out and about uh, looking for food and and doing things like that things that you may not be accustomed to doing certainly not on a daily basis at at present but a lot of the things that you're going to be doing are things that you're not accustomed to and as a result you might wind up getting injured even even minor injuries you know let's say you cut yourself chopping some wood or or doing some other activity it's very, very easy to develop an infection in a laceration or uh, in another type of injury. And these are the types of injuries that are very easy to deal with with antibiotics and other medications today. But in, in a situation where an unprepared person that hasn't put together antibiotics and other medical supplies winds up getting injured in that way, that injury becomes infected, it goes from being a very minor bump in the road to possibly the end of the road for that person. So it's very, very important for the stockpiling of medicine, of medical supplies, so you can be prepared for some of these things, things that might be minor now, but could easily be uh, a cause of death. Childbirth uh, in the past, I mean, Right now, of course, you know the announcement of a pregnancy is uh, certainly a cause for celebration in most, for most people. But in the past, there was just as much concern as there was joy in, in learning somebody that a woman got pregnant because there was uh, a good chance that she could get very ill or she could even die as a result of childbirth or complications of pregnancy. Right, and we also look at things like water and foodborne illnesses. Right, sure, absolutely. It, it stands to reason that if some disaster is really happening, look at Katrina, uh, your water supply could easily become contaminated and you could wind up dealing with diarrheal disease, dysentery, things like that, things that in the Civil War, for example. Right, that's what I was just going to say. Right, was, was the cause of death of more soldiers than bullets or shrapnel. Right, so just think well, about so we- that. 
Right. It wasn't people getting shot that were dying. It was the people who had diarrhea. They had right. dehydration. They died for because of this. So one of the one of the biggest things then we could we could discuss then would be the importance of prevention of uh of illnesses or injuries. Like you're talking about going out and cutting wood or doing chores and stuff. It uh it would be important for you to say like do the most obvious common sense things like wear gloves. Wear mm-hmm. gloves or, you know, wear protective clothing when you're out there doing it because uh, even just a uh, a big blister, say, from chopping wood, which right. normally you'd put a little bit of antibiotics on, or if it got infected, you'd say, well, I've got to go to the doctor now and get a shot. When you can't do that, then it could be the little things like that that could kill you. Or if you're talking about uh, childbirth, maybe uh, a grid-down situation isn't uh, the best time to have a child, so maybe you'd want to think about having uh, some type of contraceptives to prevent that during a... Uh, during a cessation of services. You're at, you're absolutely right and and this is some of the that is actually some of the medical advice that you will never hear given at uh, a preparedness conference or or if you read uh, your survival books uh this advice is something that you rarely get but is very very important and that is if you want to multiply uh, if you want to be fruitful don't multiply, and especially right. in the early going, if things have not stabilized, you do not want to have your uh, female members of your family or your mutual assistance group, you do not want them to be pregnant. I mean, if, if anyone who has been pregnant is listening to the, this show, they, you know that you are not at 100% efficiency, and in a grid-down situation, you need to be at 110% efficiency, and with the with back pain and, and nausea and vomiting that people get, uh, women get when when they're pregnant, you know they are not at 100%. So you have to include methods of contraception. You have to learn uh, natural family planning, things that would allow you to be able to concentrate on keeping your people functioning in a situation where you need them to be functioning 110%. Right, and also right. prevention means, I'm sorry, prevention also means when we're talking about food and uh, water-borne illnesses, about proper food storage. We're not going to have refrigerators during that time. We're not going to have large ice chests that keep your meat cold. Um, you know, we're going to have to learn proper food preservation. How long does it last? when you smoke your meat? How long does it last when you dehydrate something? They don't have infinite shelf lives. And also, you know, water purification. These are are simple things that you can do, and prevention is always worth a pound of cure. And don't forget eye protection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, eye protection. And, you know, with with appleseed, with the – with us being shooting, we always think about that. But you you need to you need to protect your eyes no matter what you're doing. If you're chopping wood or chainsawing or or whatever you're doing, because there's nobody to fix that. Uh, there's nobody to fix a lot of these special problems you may get. And having a bad eye is going to be a really bad situation. And I'm sure that you could ask any woman if she wants to put a backpack on and do a 15 or 20 mile hike when she's six months pregnant. 
that's going to be uh, that's going to be a, a big no. So let's talk about the uh, water purification for just a moment, because I've listened to you guys talk about this before. You you've got some great programs on that, and I want to remind folks we're not going to be covering everything in detail tonight. We're we're doing a uh, we're doing a kind of a a general skim across the top so that you know the things you're supposed to be looking for. But you can go to doomandbloom.net. And you can search through their uh, their archived podcasts there and find just about anything from from specialized head trauma uh, shows to water purification. But let's talk about water purification for just a moment because this is a very very serious thing. Uh, like you said, the uh, simple thing like just a little tiny bit of E. coli in uh, a glass of water can can be the death of you. So how would we go about? making sure that the water that we're putting in our bodies and in our kids' bodies and in our infants' bodies, that it's safe for them to drink? Well, um, there have actually been some studies um, on the best way to do that. And I would say that it would probably be three steps. First of all, it depends on your water source. If you have some water source that may have some sediment, it would be important to filter it through um, something like um, a cheesecloth or even um, a cotton sheet or a T-shirt. And after you have removed the, uh, the bigger sediment, you can use a chemical um, process with, with either the iodine or you can use bleach. There's also all kinds of commercial water purification tablets. And then the third step that I would do would be boiling. Um, they do say um, on some research that you can reach the boiling point and have killed 99% of your viruses and bacteria. But I would recommend boiling for 10 minutes. With those three steps, you're going to be assured that your water is 100% pure. And if you have a fourth step and want to put it through a special filter like a, a Berkey or a Lifestraw, there are several um, you know, commercial water filtration uh, systems that you can buy, you know, you can never do too much to make sure that your water is clean. You're absolutely right. Even ultraviolet light is good for uh, purifying water. What you would do is you would put it in a, a, an old two-liter uh, uh, two bottle of, uh, of soft, soft, some soft drink bottle that you have emptied and cleaned, and you put your water there and you let it sit in the sun for uh, a period of eight hours uh, or overnight. And uh, that actually has, if it gets seven hours of direct sunlight, it's actually very good in, in purifying water. As a matter of fact, we have UV sterilizers. Right, there are special in our, systems. In our pond, we have UV sterilizers in our pond that use that same method, uh, and uh, we're able to raise tilapia uh, as a food fish. That's, that's one of our... And they, uh, things and, that we do, and they haven't gotten sick, <laughs> and they don't, and they don't get sick. So wonderful. I've seen those systems where you have the where the circulating water is run through a uh, a UV light source, and uh, and that's that helps kill the bacteria. Right, that's what's happening. Uh, yeah, I Go bought uh, a stack of sheets from uh, a hotel. Uh, a while back, you know, the uh, like the thousand count sheets, and uh, I cut a bunch of those up to be used for folks for the sediment part. Because you can uh, you can run your water 
through something, like you said, some type of cloth, a T-shirt, or, or something to get the sediment out. And But then, uh, because bacteria and viruses that will pass through that, you have to do something else, which is, like you talked about, either boiling it or uh, using uh, UV light to help kill the, uh, the bacteria and viruses or run it through one of these special uh, filters, like the Berkey filters or... Uh, I think I've got some from the Teledyne, uh, some of the, the special filters to do that. And then uh, and then try and make sure that the water that you're getting the source where you're getting it from, uh, trying to pick the best the best possible place for that. If there's a cessation of services, we're not going to get water out of the faucet. Uh, so you're going to have to find other sources for it. Uh, that could be your hot water heater or the tank, the, the tank on the back of the toilet. Or once that runs out, then you'll have to move to other stuff. What about, uh, Doc, what about using uh, pool water? Or can people use pool water to drink? Well, if you have pool water that, you're use, that has chlorine in it, uh, I suppose it's something that, that you could do. It's something that uh, I think is is going to be a way to get certainly water that, uh, you know, in water in quantity, and that's certainly what you need if you're lucky enough to have pool water, uh, uh, then you could you you could use that. Usually the amount of chlorine they put in pool water is a little more than what you would probably want, but it's, it's better than nothing. Right. Again, you can't filter it enough, and any source that you get, if you're unsure of it, even pool water, after it's stagnated for a while, because if our electricity is shut off and it's not running and circulating and, and has aeration, it, it may grow bacteria. That's so right. you never count on exactly never count on even even the clearest mountain stream right. in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. We we hike a lot in the in the uh, Smoky Mountains National Park, other areas. Even those types of what, what, what you would think would be absolutely perfect clear water uh, can harbor organisms like giardia and other and other things that can cause diarrheal disease. So well, I saw never count paper. on your. I saw a paper from the uh, uh, I don't know if it was USDA or the Forest Service, but there was a warning that they put out saying that they do not consider any water in the United States, any water, any wild water anywhere, as drinkable water. I agree. Yep, me too. Well, say this: say that uh, somebody doesn't do their filtering right. Say that they're so thirsty they stop and they see some water in the ditch and they go, I'm, "I just got to have a drink," and they drink it. And say they ingest uh, uh, however many thousands or millions of E. coli. I know it doesn't take very many, but say they ingest some E. coli and they get something like dysentery or something like that. And once they've got it, they've got it. So now, what do they do? How are they? How do we keep that person from becoming uh, a more serious casualty? Well, of course, if uh, a person has diarrheal disease, of course, diarrhea is just three essentially defined as three uh, loose stools in a row. I mean, if if just staying off solid food for for a few hours and just drinking uh, clean, drinkable water is not going to do it. Is not is not going to take it away. I mean, there are signs that it's going. It can be something more serious. I and mean, if you develop a fever with diarrhea, for example, if your stool changes color, becomes uh, black, or has uh, 
becomes mucousy or bloody, you know, certainly then you have to be concerned that, that there is some dysentery going on. Uh, there, there are various antibiotics that are very useful for that, antibiotics that you can obtain uh, without a prescription, uh, aquarium antibiotics. Is that one of the, I'm one of the few people that is both a medical doctor and an aquaculturist. And so when my human patients got sick, I would give them antibiotics. And when I, when my fish would get sick, uh, I gave them antibiotics. I mean, of course, obviously, when I thought the antibiotics would help them. And uh, I found out by looking at these medications that they seem to be very similar. And so uh, I took – you could actually see my YouTube video called Fish Antibiotics in a Collapse. Yeah, where I open a bottle of uh, human amoxicillin, and then I open a bottle of something called fishmox, which is a, an aquarium antibiotic. And when you open the human amoxicillin, it's a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC3731 on it. When you open fishmox, my fishmox, it's a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. And it's, and it's right. okay if, if people don't understand this. Just try it. Get a fish antibiotic online. You can buy a bottle pretty cheaply. Open it up. There are many, many pill identification websites, and you can go on there, enter the description and the numbers or letters that are on the pill. And the reason they have this is for people who, say, go to Grandma's house, and Grandma's getting a little senile, and she's dumped all her pills into a bowl, and you have no idea what she's taking, but you can go on there and find out what they are. And if you look up these medications, it doesn't say fish antibiotic. It says whatever it actually is. So it will say amoxicillin. And the criteria I used for this is very, is very strict. In other words, the fish antibiotic has to have one ingredient, and that's the antibiotic itself. There's nothing there to make your uh, scales shinier or your fins longer or uh, anything like that. It's got to be just the antibiotic. And right. And let me no, let me interject real quick that uh, uh, because you guys have it on your show, and uh, I want to make sure that, um, that folks understand that the the information that uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are putting out tonight, they are not uh, they are not instructing you to do anything. They are telling no. you about the information that they have and that they understand. And they're talking about the medicine. A lot of the times when we're talking about stuff like this, we're talking about it in a theoretical fashion. That is. If you if you found yourself in a situation where you had uh, no other course of action, which is going to a doctor, which is always going to be your very first option, you should always take if that is uh, available to you. Go to the doctor. Go to the hospital. Uh, and uh, if that's not the case, then use some of the information that uh, you hear here. But the advice that they're giving you is not they're not giving you any advice to do anything. They're just telling you about information that they have in their heads. Was that close you're, enough? You're, ab- you're, absolute, you're absolutely right. Everything that we do is focused on a situation where there are no doctors, where there are no hospitals, where you are now the end of the line when it comes to the medical well-being of your family. And so if there is, a, you know, if you need a brain transplant, and there's a hospital and a brain surgery nearby, please don't try to do it yourself. 
Well, I, I talked to you guys a couple of years ago, and I was telling you about uh, some friends of mine that, uh, of course, now they were doctors, so I guess it isn't really the same kind of uh, anecdotal story here, but they, uh, one of the guys cut his foot at the beach, and his other buddy there said, let's sew it up, and they sewed it. They wound up with some mono fishing line that they had there, and they sewed something up in it because they were at the beach, and they didn't get clean good, and the guy almost lost his foot. So the, the, the moral of my story is, is if you have to sew yourself up or perform any kind of stuff on you, remember that it can have some serious consequences. If you can go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But if you can't, then you're going to have to do whatever you think uh, is right to fix it. But it can have some serious consequences. Uh, well, I want to. Well, I'm glad. Go, I'm glad. Go I just wanted to say one. I just wanted to say one thing about that. You're absolutely right. You have to, if you can go to the doctor, if there is a doctor for you there, you should utilize their services. They know they have more experience with it, and they can do it. But I will say that in that particular case, you absolutely, if if you're thinking about closing a wound, first off, most wounds are going to be dirty, and they probably should be left open. And we teach people how to to do open wound care. You know, and you'll heal. It'll be a uh, not as pretty a scar, perhaps, but... You will heal, but there are circumstances where if you don't wash that wound out absolutely, you know, perfectly, that an infection can occur. There's a a girl who had uh, an injury after falling off a zip line. She fell into a creek bed and had a laceration. That was in Georgia about a year and a half ago. And she went to the hospital, and she even went to the hospital and they put 22 staples. It took 22 staples to close the wound, but apparently they didn't clean the wound out well enough beforehand. There was a bacteria there, and if you close a wound that might have bacteria in it, then basically what you're doing is you're creating your own personal abscess. And this poor girl had a, a particularly bad bacteria that caused a type of infection called necrotizing fasciitis. It went and, and it goes all over your body. She wound up not only losing her leg, she also lost both her hands. Oh. So it, oh. can, it can be pretty bad. Well, while we're talking about uh, wound care, too, I want uh, the folks to know that uh, that Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, they, uh, if you want to meet them, you can meet them at uh, the Self-Reliance Expos uh, for sure. Now, I know that they have other places that they work at, but at the Self-Reliance Expos, you can meet them there, and you can take the future courses that they offer, which is a great course. And do you guys do the course anywhere else? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to be doing it in Bakersfield, California in uh, on June 8th, 8th and 9th. Or June 8th? Just June 8th at uh-huh. 4 p.m. <clears throat> that expo is in Bakersfield, California. It's called the Prepare Number 2 Endure.com. And it's Emergency Preparedness Expo. Right. Mm-hmm. We will then be in Irving, Texas, and we're going to do a, a special first-time class. Um, people have asked for more advanced training, and some of the people that we taught suturing in Arlington asked us to come back, and we're actually going to do um, at least a four-hour class, although Dr. Bones and I have a hard time limiting our our, our knowledge that we're, we're trying to um, give to everyone. So it's going to cover burns, uh the hemorrhaging, traumatic wounds. It's also, of course, going to cover the suturing stapling with a pig's foot. 
Um, we're going to talk about triage. Are we talking about mass, mass casualty incidents? Right. Everyone's going to uh, get a blood pressure cuff. We're going to put those together, and everyone's going to learn some basic uh, vital signs. Um, and it's just going to be, you know, a, a basic training course. Well, listen, we're talking about the Self-Reliance Expo, which you guys are at, and, and I love seeing you guys there. And uh, we had a, uh, Jim Keith, who runs the Appleseed oh. uh, presence yeah. at uh, at the Expos. And Jim is on the phone. He's been waiting. He wanted to tell you guys hi, and I want to make sure he got a chance to do that while he's on the phone. Jim, you there? Hey, I am here. Hey, brother, how are you? Hey, Jim. I'm, I'm doing well. I just had to, to call and at least say hi to you. Um, and give you a bad time because if I remember right, you two have never been to an apple seed. Is that no, correct? No, we, we we keep trying to. Every time I think we're going to be able to get to one, we end up going to another expo. We have pretty much every weekend in June and the first weekend in July, we're going to be traveling from Washington State down to California, back home. Then we're going to go to Texas. No, we're going to Des Moines. Oh, Texas. Then we'll be back home. Then we're going to. Then we're going to be in Des Moines, Iowa. Then we're going to go back uh-huh. home. Then we're going to be in Salt Lake City and then back did home. You, so, did uh, you know woo. that uh, we have apple seeds in all of those places? Just, well, just now let you know. <laughs> so, listen, we'll be glad, to, put, we'll be glad to, to bring one to you guys and put it on. You, you name the oh. date and time, and we'll be glad to bring one and put it on. So oh, just a couple of a things. <laughs> just a, um, one is the expo you talked about in Bakersfield in June. Appleseed yes. will have a booth there. We won't. Uh, Kim and I won't be there because we're somewhere else. I don't remember where. Um, but uh, Appleseed will have a booth there, and if they can get enough instructors to help out, they will uh, have a pellet gun line, just like we normally run at the other expos. Which and by then the way, the, absolutely, yep, everyone wanna, needs to get to that. And I just want to say that that is one of the highlights of the expos of Appleseed, is that a, uh, an expo near you where you have got to go? It's truly a family event, which is a wonderful thing to help families learn gun safety together. You're doing well, a wonderful thanks. thing, Jim. Thanks, guys. Uh, and, and appreciate then, that. Then the other thing yeah. is, um, is that uh, the, the show in Des Moines, we're looking at trying to do an Appleseed uh, and the we're, we're, this is not on the record yet, so don't tell anybody. But we're looking to do an apple seed either the weekend before or the weekend after because Scott, uh, who does the, the expos, has some contacts at a new range, and he's, uh, we're talking with him tomorrow to try and put an apple seed together uh, around that expo. So you, if you have time, I'm just saying, there's an opportunity. We're going to figure this out, Jim. I promise you, we will get together. You guys are Hopefully in 2013. You and Kim. Yeah, all right. Well, right. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Right. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Talk with you later. Bye. All right. Thanks, Jim. Well, listen, guys, what about, uh, uh, and I'm going to talk more about where you guys are, are going and how to get in touch with you and stuff like that uh, a little bit later, but let's talk back uh, about initial care and stuff, because you mentioned just a minute ago you were talking about wound care, um, and we first we talked about prevention, but if you can't prevent it, uh, can you talk to the folks a little bit about what the best uh, the best type of wound care that they can provide to people with their limited resources and stuff in the event of 
uh, like a I don't know cut on the hand or a scrape on the knee or a gash in the head. What can we what can we do to make sure that 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 the wound stays clean? How to get it clean? How how to keep it clean? And how to keep uh, further infection from developing? Well, the the solution to pollution is dilution, and so what I want everyone to do is I want them to pay particular attention to getting that wound clean. Clean it out. We get it, it, all you need to do is use clean, drinkable water to uh, flush that wound out. When I say flush, I mean with with something that will give it a little force. Now, uh, we use things called irrigation syringes. They're just big, big syringes, uh, uh, 60 to 100 cc's. And this is, I think, a a basic item that should be in everybody's medical supplies. And just squirt that water in with some force. Get that debris out and get out the bacteria that's in there. And I think that, that if, if you can do that, start off with that, use some clean sterile gauze, which is another thing, by the way, that you can never, ever, ever have too much of in your medical supplies. Remember, by the way, you can never, ever, ever, ever have too many medical supplies. You, you can go through a lot of gauze. You can go through a lot of gauze with just one hemorrhagic wound, believe me. It could take all of your gauze to, to stop one major bleeding event. And if you ever have anything that you would consider to be an extra medical supply, believe me, they will be extraordinarily valuable barter items in times of trouble. So don't don't think that you are completely medically prepared unless you have tons and tons of this stuff. Well, let me, let me stop right there, and I know I don't want to go out too far on a side route while we're talking about wound care stuff, but I, but this is relevant to it, and that is, uh, I, that's one of the things I try and tell people, is that, yeah, if you have, you've bought, you've paid uh, $20 a piece for these specialized bandages with wound clotting abilities and stuff like that, which is great, and you should have that on you for initial uh, wound care or, you know, for something big or something, but one of the things I think that people don't understand is what you just said, and that is that a a, a typical wound uh, can go through dozens, if not hundreds, of bandages before it's healed. So your little you you can't you can't say that if you have uh, ten Israeli bandages that you're good to go, because uh, any even a small wound can take dozens of bandages, and one of the things that I've found, and you guys can, I think I contacted you or asked you about this, but one of the things that I've found that I've been stocking up on is um, uh, sanitary napkins. And uh, I've, been able to, I've been able to get those in like 50 packs for $4. And, uh, and I also have uh, six girls in my family. So... Uh, every time I go to the Dollar General store, I buy another pack of 48 for $4, and I've got I don't know how many hundreds of them I have now. But that's a very important fact is that it's going to take a lot of bandages to get a wound healed, and you need to have a lot of bandages. And you mentioned something that's very important, improvisation, that – uh, look at items that you have just around the house that could possibly serve as uh, medical supplies later on. Uh, don't throw away those old sheets. You know, cut them up into strips. 
so that you can so you can use them uh, for wound care if you needed to. Uh, the, I, I absolutely agree. The maxi pads, things like that, are very very useful. They're very common to what uh, very similar to what we call ABD or combine pads, and they are absolutely uh, inexpensive ways that you're going to be able to help control bleeding. Now, I mean, remember, just, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to ask you uh, about uh, improvised bandages, like you're just talking about. Uh, from some of the, the courses and stuff I've taken, they've talked about uh, newspaper being sterile uh, until you handle it. But newspaper, if you have a stack of newspapers, that uh, you could pull a sheet out of that stack as long as it hadn't been handled before, and it would be as close to sterile as it can get. Well, I think I think newspaper is is okay. I don't I don't know that that it's sterile. I haven't actually I can't tell you that I've actually looked into it, so I, I haven't really uh, identified that as something that would obviously be sterile. If it is indeed, if that is indeed the case, then it would be very very. Very, very useful if that's all if that's all you had. Uh, I think that any anything that you can put into a wound that's clean that you can apply pressure over it uh, will be helpful to to help staunch uh, any hemorrhage any hemorrhagic wound that you that you have. So you know, get something in that wound, apply pressure. If the wound uh, is in an extremity, elevate that extremity above the heart. Make the heart work harder to pump blood out of your body. And I think that that's uh, a good first step to dealing with a hemorrhagic wound. Well, when you're talking about irrigating the wound with the, or just dilution and irrigating the wound with clean water, what about uh, hydrogen peroxide? Well, hydrogen peroxide may be good for a first cleaning, right. for example, but later on for actual wound care, remember that new cells that are forming like a moist environment. And hydrogen peroxide take, is actually a dry, it will actually dry out these new cells that are trying to actually heal and trying to develop, and it will slow down, believe it or not, healing. Clean, drinkable water is actually superior for open wound care, especially in the long run, than hydrogen peroxide, or even concentrated betadine. You can put a little, uh, some betadine wipes in, a, in some clean drinkable water and make a, a tea out of it, so to speak, and use that. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, the studies show that clean drinkable water has as good a uh, success rate in, in allowing healing and in, and in some cases a better success rate in preventing infection than a lot of these other things that people ordinarily associate with cleaning a wound. But that first wound, wound cleaning, I have no problem with using hydrogen peroxide because, you know, it just happened. Uh, new cells aren't coming up yet. And so you can use it for that. You can use, uh, you know, betadine solution directly for that, that first cleaning. Okay, because you can get the hydrogen peroxide. You can catch it on sale at, uh, like, Walmart for $0.80 cents a quart. So if you no, stock up a bunch of that, then you could use that to initially clean the wound. And then you say for continued care, the best thing is going to be uh, clean uh, water to cleanse the wound with. What about any kind of soap or anything? Would you use any kind of soap on it? I would use soap to wash my hands beforehand because 
remember that your hands are going beyond this wound, you know, probably often uh, during the, the healing pro- process as you were changing dressings and things like that. So I would use that more uh, to wash my hands and to keep my environment, my, my counter surfaces and my work environment uh, in the sick room, I would use that more for that. Okay. What about whenever you're when, – say they, they've got the wound and they're, they're looking at it and, uh, and it's like the second or third day. And How long can a bandage stay on? Because you don't want to keep the bandage on there forever because it'll get it'll turn into a nasty cesspool. But when you're looking you're at right. it, you're looking at the wound and the bandage, what would what would be your indication that a bandage needs to be changed? Oh, well, I think a bandage should be changed period twice a day. Because especially in a wound that that was bleeding because there's going to be debris from uh from clotted blood, there's going to be a lot of uh there's just going to be a a higher chance of infection if you don't change that wound. Even air has bacteria in it, so you have to remember that the, the more often that you change a dressing, the more likely that wound will heal, heal faster. And okay, I think so this is a good. I think this is a good uh, rule of thumb to change. Change a wound twice a day, and you have to look at the wound too. Uh, you have to know what an infected wound looks like, and an infected wound will look. Uh, reddish around the around the actual laceration let's say uh, you'll notice that the wound becomes uh, red and a little swollen it might be a little shiny uh, around the edges and it may be warm and as a matter of fact that's something that you should actually feel that right around the wound if it is infected you'll find that it's warmer than Let's say if it was on one arm, you feel the other arm. You'll feel that it is indeed warmer on the infected side. So that's okay. one important thing to look for. Okay. So you guys, you heard it. Why stay for the bandage change? That means if you have a wound, it takes even just 10 days. And I'm, I'm telling you that most wounds, uh, most wounds are, they're made, they may take longer than 10 days for, for, for a decent wound. That's 20 bandages, all right? 20 bandages out of your stores for one person for one wound. So make sure you're thinking about that and you're thinking about stocking up on bandages. Well, the uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, what I, was, uh, what I was going to say is that the the, the materials that you're talking about, the maxi pads and things like that, this is where they really start shining. You know, you can put together a large quantity of this stuff, get a closet full as far as I'm concerned, and put it in there at, at, and just keep it for your medical storage, and you will find that it will be very, very, very useful, especially if you're taking care of, of a group. of mutual, If you have a mutual assistance group, you have got to make sure that you have tons of this stuff because you're going to want to change that wound uh, wound dressing regularly and you want to and by the way every time you change your wound dressing you're going to squirt more water in there and you're going to blow out that debris and blow out that clotted blood and you're going to and, and that will help it heal faster and prevent infection well you just you just mentioned something that made me think of another thing, and let's talk about that for a second. And that is, you take that uh, that 
that dressing off, now you've got uh, a piece of material that has biological contaminants on it, and it's probably a pretty good uh, a pretty good way of starting an active culture for some uh, for some disease or infection. What should folks do with with that bandage? And then also, if you talk about uh, uh, the fact that that if folks have to if they have to go to the bathroom, what they're supposed to do with uh, with their biological waste. Well, what you one important medical supply that people don't consider to be a medical supply is a large quantity of plastic bags. You want to have some manner of eliminating, disposing of, of whatever materials touched a patient in your sick room and keeping it away from and disposing of it in such a way so that it, it is not going to contaminate other areas. I, I actually would have a separate area to throw away medical waste, you know, even, even away from necessarily the other, the other garbage that you have because who knows if you've got kids and things like that, they're going to be playing and who knows what they're going to get into. And so, you know, you should have a large supply of, pla- of, of plastic bags. And when I mean plastic bags, I, I'm talking about, you know, the large plastic bags, garbage bags, the leaf bags even. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, a, it's just going to depend on the number of people that you are dealing with. So right. I think that's important. It's also going to be important to have uh, uh, places to place uh, to put to, to dispose of sharp uh, sharp things that you use. Like if you're using a scalpel, let's say to remove some some dead skin, that's that's called uh, debridement, is what we refer to that and. And sometimes you're going to find, especially in burns and some other some other wounds, that some tissue some of the tissue just is not going to live, and shouldn't be there just sort of rotting on the wound. And you actually may have to cut that out. And so you're going to have some sharp objects. You may have, if you're lucky enough to have, uh, let's say, local anesthetics, things like that that you can inject into someone. Then you are going to want to have a special container that, in this case, it wouldn't be a plastic bag. It would be something hard, even if it's a two-liter bottle of a plastic bottle. Uh, I, I would have something like that available so that you can dispose of sharp uh, medical uh, equipment that you've used. Okay. And then, and then on kind of the same note, uh, Whenever the, you have a cessation of services and the water stops running and the toilets stop flushing, that is, that's just the services that stop. Your biological needs don't stop. You're still going to have to uh, eliminate waste, and you're still going to have to do something about them because that's one of the quickest ways to get everybody sick is to spread around the biological, to, to spread or feces and urine around. So you've got to figure out... Uh, really quickly, how to deal with that, and uh, and what would you guys uh, what would you guys suggest for for that? Well, that's I think a very good point. You know that besides being the chief medical officer, you are the chief sanitation officer, and it is your duty to determine uh, what risk factors are are there that may cause infectious disease to run rampant in your camp or among your in your family or or among your mutual assistance group 
And so what you need to do is you need to have uh, a plan for the disposal of waste. If you have a group of people, you have to assign an area that's going to be a latrine. That area needs to be 200 feet or more from whatever water source that you are going to be counting on. And it is something that uh, I would apply. I would have some, uh, let's say, some sand if I had. If, if you were in an area that w- that was sandy, I would have some bleach. And every time that somebody used latrine, I would pour a little bleach or a little. Uh, if you have something like uh, lime, of course, that would also be very useful to uh, decrease uh, the chances that uh, there'll be a, a lot of bacteria that's. Uh, possibly put your people at risk. Yeah, because people don't talk about this, and, you know, it's a reality. Everybody's going to have to use the bathroom, and you can't, uh, if you're just passing through an area, I imagine you can just, uh, you know, dig a little hole or, or pull a pile of leaves or something on top of it. But if you have to stop and stay somewhere, you're going to have to very quickly figure out the system to take care of it because you can't, can't be willy-nilly, and you can't have people... Uh, Using the bathroom in a an area or a situation which might possibly foul or water supplies and stuff like that. So this is something that you need to think about and work out. And uh, if you're going to be, I'm sorry, if, you're, if you are okay. asked, if you're, if you're going to be in place, either you know uh, in your home or are you going to have an actual camp? Then you, as the medical officer, you must. Uh, determine where that latrine is going to be. Make sure that it's in, in an appropriate location. You're going to have to assign a hospital tent. You know, there's going to have to be, or or if you were in, or if you were staying in place, you're going to have to assign a sick room. You assign that at the very beginning, because otherwise, we know what you're going to be doing. You're going to be kicking somebody out of a tent, or you're going to be kicking somebody out of a room, and that's going to start. Uh, and you're going to have some resent from, resentment from that, and you absolutely need to have everybody pulling together, and you don't want to start, you know, not kicking people out of their tents because you need it for a sick person. Right. Now, I, I was reading, uh, either I saw this or I was reading it somewhere about folks, you know, there's always a talk about bugging in and bugging out, and, you know, and uh, this one particular family, I guess, was bugging in, and it seemed to me like they were, I believe that they were using uh, the, a five-gallon bucket uh, to gather their uh, their excrement, and and then I guess to keep a low profile, they were going out at night, and uh, they dug a hole out in the yard, and they were going out at night and pouring it into the hole, and uh, and then putting a little dirt on top, and I guess to keep the smell and stuff down. But uh, whatever your situation, you're going to have to work this out very quickly because, uh, you know, it's not going to be more than uh, than 12 hours before somebody's going to have to, they're going to have to to use whatever system you've put in place. So, and it's one of the quickest ways for folks to get sick. And you were talking about, uh, further on, you are talking about the folks with uh, influenza and stuff and the history of it. And, and especially things like, uh, uh, folks living outdoors, and I've read a lot of history about the American Revolutionary War, and that was one of the things that they had problems with from day one. That's people going to the bathroom anywhere and everywhere, going into the, going in the trenches and 
uh, and it it turns into a, a disaster. I mean, quick. So you're right. right. As a, you'll have to make, take charge of this and make sure it's fixed uh, very quickly. We're very lucky in that we may be thrown back to the 19th century in ter- or or earlier in terms of what our medical environment or medical technology will be, but we do have a weapon that our uh, the rev- that we didn't have during the Revolutionary War, and that is we have knowledge of infection, we have knowledge of antisepsis, we have knowledge of what to do to tr- keep an area clean. So uh, with, with limited supplies, with supplies that you can use for other things, if you can definitely keep your, your work surfaces clean, you can definitely clean, uh, keep... Uh, Keep wounds wounds clean. We know a lot about things. If you just learn some of these things, of course, articles about this stuff is all over there. Matter of fact, I just put up an article uh, a couple of days ago about the you know how to put together a survival sick room. So you know these use these resources to learn about how to do this and plan it out now. If you plan this out now, it will not be uh, something that will be a, a cause for uh, dissension or argument later on when you have to assign certain areas when you ha- to you know for, for a sick room let's say and this is something that is really important you know it's just like everything else if you're preparing by getting your food together if you're preparing by uh, arranging for the common de- you know planning for the common defense plan for dealing with your sick people and your injured people and do it. What now. about what about medicine, uh, Doc? Now you talked about uh, earlier about the uh, possibility of of getting uh, uh, antibiotics from uh, uh, from veterinary sources like fish antibiotics and stuff like that. What other kind of what would other advice would you give folks on medicine? I know that that people with uh, existing, pre-existing conditions need to make sure that they have a stockpile of medicine that they can use. But what about things like uh, like aspirin and stuff like that? What recommendations would you give folks on on keeping, uh, storing up medicine? What medicines that they, should they buy now over the counter? Well, over the counter, I would definitely, of course, have aspirin, ibuprofen, Tylenol, the, you know, your pain medicines and medicines to, to decrease fever, I would have uh, things like Benadryl to deal with uh, allergic reactions. By the way, Benadryl at 50 milligrams is also an excellent sedative that works as almost like a sleeping pill for some people. So that is something else that I think uh, is very important. Uh, an antibiotic cream, uh, a triple antibiotic cream is very important. A hydrocortisone cream will be very, very useful. Uh, I have articles on whole list of these types and antifungal by the way or a lot of people have athletes feet or or going to have fungal infections as well and so consider things like uh, over the counters like lotrimin those are very useful to have in your medical uh, supplies also uh, as well and so you well, now, if you go to our website well I'm sorry go ahead. no I was just going to say that uh that I was listening to you guys talk, uh, I believe it was a couple of years ago, about 
medicine and about things like antibiotics because this was a question that I'd had and I just I just happened to uh, to catch you guys talking about it, a question that I had about medicine life and uh, say you have a uh, like a prescription of antibiotics and uh, and it might be out of date now a lot of people they just automatically grab that and they throw it in the trash but I I could have sworn that I heard uh, Nurse Amy talking about that the antibiotics had a had a longer life than what was stated on them. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, my uh, article many years ago, uh, the truth about expiration dates, really debunked a lot of that. Throw away your medications as soon as they expire, kind of thing. Now, FEMA uh, and the U.S. Uh, military have millions and millions of doses of all sorts of various medications that they have in warehouses for times of trouble. And, of course, if a major disaster does not occur, what happens is, is these things, all these medicines become expired. And so these warehouses full of these medicines exist, and FEMA didn't know what to do with it. And so what they did is they put together something called the Shelf Life Extension Program, and they actually tested all of these expired medications, and sure enough, the grand majority of them that are in pill or capsule form actually were still at 100% potency, and that was anywhere from 2 to 12 years, depending on the medication that they were testing. I think the ones that were 2 years overdue, honestly, were, had just become 2 years overdue at the time of the study. So get your medicines Keep them, even if they're expired, as long as they're in pill or capsule form. Insulins or these uh, uh, pediatric elixirs that have the the everybody's giving their kid uh, that pink syrup uh, that has amoxicillin in it. Those become, lose potency actually pretty quickly because they're in liquid form. But the things that are in pill or capsule form, if you store them in a dry place, a cool place, and a dark place, they will last indeed for years afterwards. As a matter of fact, there was uh, actually a story in which uh, some pharmacy, I think in L.A. or San Diego, that had uh, an old storage room that they hadn't opened up in, in years. Apparently, I think they even forgot they had it. Uh, if they, they found that they opened it up and they found medications that were 28 to 40 years expired 28 to 40 years expired and 13 of the 15 medicines that were there were still at 100 percent potency or or more believe it or not because some of their the the things they used as a carrier uh or as a uh, as another ingredient in it actually did, did degrade some and causing the actual medicine to be even more potent because it was more of the actual pill wow Wow, that is amazing. Well, they're okay, then I just want to make sure folks understand that because a lot of folks will go in their, their cabinets and they'll take a look and they'll say, well, this medicine, it's expired. You know, we really need it, but it's expired and we're afraid to take it. Now, once again, Doc isn't telling you to go and take expired medicine. He's telling you the results of a survey done by FEMA and other folks who that just that, that determined that the medicine was still usable. Now, you mentioned insulin a few minutes ago, and then there was actually a person in the 
who had a question about that, and that was if there's anything, if there's any way to manufacture insulin or anything that you could take that would uh, that would give the same kind of uh, uh, results as insulin. A lot well, of folks have diabetes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the people that have type 2 diabetes, which is a non-insulin-dependent diabetes that's used uh, taken with medicine, of course, they can stockpile their medicines. But interestingly enough, these people oftentimes uh, are, their diabetes is worse when they're, they're heavy, let's say, or, uh, or, or relatively sedentary. In other words, they're, they're sort of couch potatoes. And the funny thing about it is that I believe that a lot of people with type 2 diabetes given the fact that they're going to be eating less and they're going to be doing a lot more activity, they actually might be a little better uh, if the you-know-what hits the fan. The, the type 1 right. diabetic, they, that is much, much more problematic. Interestingly enough, you can find the formula for making insulin on my website. That was a pretty uh, uh, popular article of a couple of years ago that I, that I wrote. So I actually tell you exactly how to make insulin. But unfortunately, you would have to have a chemistry lab to produce insulin as it is now. I suppose that you could take um, the pancreas of, let's say, sheep or or other livestock, but the, these guys, these animals can't live without it. So it's something that uh, you wouldn't be able to do long term. You're going to run out of your food animals pretty quickly if you ta- if you sacrifice. So that that is a big issue. Your insulin is not going to become poisonous or anything. It's just going to be less effective. So you may have to take more insulin to actually get the same get the same but effect. But there's an article on this on uh, www.doomandbloom.net, and they can search for it and find it there, right? It's called the formula for making insulin. Okay. Uh, and, Doc, I know we said that an hour, and I don't know if you guys are – I don't want to – I would keep you here for the next four hours, but I don't know if you guys got a, anything else you need to go to or do, and I don't want to chain you here to the phone. Well, uh, how, I, how long is your show? I can, I can stay for about another ten minutes or so. How's that? That sounds perfect. Uh, all right, well, we talked about wound care, and you told the folks that, uh, number one, clean your hands. Uh, use hydrogen peroxide in uh, the initial cleaning of the wound, but not repeatedly afterwards. Afterwards, use uh, a good uh, clean water to rinse and clean the wound, and then twice a day bandage changes. And then we talked about uh, making sure that your water that you drink that it's clean and it's safe to drink by uh, any numerous methods, and it's, and the best is by doubling up the methods, which is first straining it through uh, with some material to get the sediments out and then boiling. Uh, use UV if possible by putting it in the sunlight. Um, we talked about uh, waste management. Uh, what are some of the other things whenever you go, when you guys go and you give your collapsed medicine talks, what are some of the most important things that you try and get across to your listeners about surviving uh, in, a, in, a, in a collapsed medicine type situation? Well, that people need to make a status assessment of really what is going on. If you're going to be the person that's going to be in charge 
of the medical well-being of your people. You're going to have to coordinate your medical stores. You're going to have to get some knowledge, and you have to start doing that now. You've got to learn, of course, your basic first aid. You have to uh, learn some anatomy. That's the blueprint of the body, and I have to learn some physiology. That's the operating manual, essentially. You've got to get these things done, and you have to, once you get some of this knowledge, you have to pass it on to all to as many people in your group as possible because one day the medic is going to need a medic and you want somebody else to have the ability to take your place if it's necessary to treat you. Now, so, so these are important things. Other things you need to do is you need to figure out what is it exactly that you're expecting to happen. If you're, are you expecting an economic collapse? If you're, if you're expecting something like that, well, you know, trucks aren't going to, nobody's paying the truckers, the trucks aren't going to be delivering food to the cities. Uh, from the farms, you're going to deal with malnutrition, so you're going to have to make sure that your uh, food storage is going to give a balanced diet to people if necessary, you know, stockpile some multivitamins. Uh, there are commercial and there are natural versions of this. If you're worried about uh, civil unrest, you better learn how to treat uh Traumatic injuries, that's going to be very, very important. If you're worried for that there's going to be some nuclear meltdown or something like that, you may want to have some potassium iodide tablets on hand to prevent long-term damage to the thyroid from radiation. There are just, if you're worried about an epidemic, you have better have extra masks, extra gloves, uh, so that you can, you know, make sure that you keep and, and learn how to keep that sick room isolated. So there are a lot of different things. There's so many factors involved in being an effective medic. That's what our our collapse medicine DVD and our collapse medicine talks are all about is what are the factors that are going to make you a good and effective medic for your people in times of trouble. So education, because you're going to have to know you're going to have to know what to do about this. So you need to you need to start now in educating yourself on how to how to provide uh, these services to yourself, your loved ones, to your group. I remember a couple of years ago. It's been it's been a lot longer than that. But uh, I came up on an accident, and it was a motorcycle rider, and he was in the ditch, and and the the first aid wasn't folks weren't there yet. This was rurally, and uh, and I asked some folks what had happened, and they they described that you know the accident and stuff and I asked if they'd done anything like CPR and they go no we didn't know how to do that and uh, and it was too late for me to try to do that because there was already uh, a small amount of rigor that had already started uh, so I knew there was no chance of CPR but I just wow. I always thought you know what that guy could have died because because nobody knew how to do CPR you're absolutely right. Very few people really think about having, let's say, some basic medical supplies with them. I, I have a, uh, a personal IFAC or individual first aid kit that uh, that I have. We produce them, actually. And um, we have that in every vehicle that we have in case we come across something exactly what you're talking, uh, like what you're talking about. We It's important to know how to deal with basic things, sprains and strains, 
Uh, and in, it's even important to know how to deal. If you're if you're concerned that there's going to be a long-term survival situation, you know, you know that you're going to need gauze. You know that you're going to need uh, medication, uh, medications and things like that. But I bet you haven't thought about needing things, a buried supply, something like a dental extractor. Now, in the aftermath of a hurricane or tornado where you have a three or four days without power, now it's probably not very important to have a dental extractor or dental supplies available, but you know what? What happens if something really bad goes down and you are now the medical person for a year or longer? Well, I'll tell you that dental extractor may wind up being one of the most important pieces of medical equipment you have because 90% of dental emergencies can be dealt with by extraction. That's the way it was in the old days. And when I mean the old days, not talking about Roman times, I have been talking about about 50 years ago that they extracted teeth when there was a significant problem with the tooth. And so you have to think a little bit about that. In Vietnam, 50% of the sick calls, uh, patients that uh, medics uh, dealt with, the medical personnel dealt with, they were there for dental issues, not for medical issues. So you have to think about Things like that, things that may occur in long-term survival situations that you may have to deal with. Yeah, we've got one of our one of our team members is a dentist, and I've I've queried him about that uh, quite a bit in the beginning because I said I want to try and make sure that I'm prepared for uh, you know to to do dental stuff. I said so. Tell me what you know what kind of tools I'm going to need, and, and I thought it was going to be a big long list of things. And he said nope. He goes the only way to solve uh, almost 99% of the dental problems is with this tool right here, and it was an uh, extractor. Now, there was a couple of sizes of the extractor, but he said, look, because there's, unless you have access to a dentist's office with power and water and everything else, the only way to, the only way to fix something like that is by pulling the tooth out. And uh, if you right. don't pull the tooth out, something like a, uh, an infected tooth is a good way to die. You'll, you can exactly. die easily from an infected tooth. Right. The the infection can go into the bloodstream. That's called um, uh, sepsis. We call that sepsis or um, hemosepsis. And, and this is something that can easily kill you. So you're going to want to be able to act. And, we, without, and without the appropriate instruments, you're not going to be able to. We even produce a dental kit that... Uh, several of our dentist friends have looked in, and I and I can I'll tell you that we have a number 50 and a number 51, uh, number 150 and a number 151 extractor in them. That's uh, what the dentist. You know, I, I put this question to the dentist: If you had to have an, ex, you know, just one or two instruments, what would they be? And they would be an upper extractor, a lower extractor. That's 151 and 150. And a dental elevator, which is actually it looks like a chisel, but very, very tiny. And what that does is it separates out the ligaments that hold the tooth in place in its socket. And if you don't use that, then you can, it, it's much harder to pull a tooth. Uh, the, um, right. the elevator, Amy tells me the elevator is number 301. So we have that. Right. We have an entire kit like that that has all these all these instruments there and. Uh, and this is something that uh, you can find on our store at uh, doingboom.net. Right. And you can also, like right now, I'm I'm using, because I'm waiting for a dental appointment, I'm using clove oil. And if it weren't for clove oil, I think I would be laying out in the parking lot crying right now. 
But uh, well, yeah, cobalt is an excellent dental anesthetic, and if you get some. And I also, in our dental kit, we have zinc oxide powder and clove oil. So you get uh, with it, you take two drops of the clove oil and some of the zinc oxide powder into a paste. And that hardens. You place it into an area where uh, you've lost the filling, or if you have a loose crown, you place it on the the area where the crown goes, and it forms an excellent temporary dental cement. Right. Now, listen, now you mentioned that you guys have the equipment and supplies. And before you go, I want to make sure the folks know this. And I want to folk, make sure that folks know that uh, you guys have a uh, a lot of different kits that have been put together. And I've seen kits put together before on the Internet that were just uh, that were put together willy-nilly. But I want to let folks know that these kits were not put together that way. These kits have been uh, put together... Uh, in a in a wonderfully obsessive compulsive manner by Nurse Amy, and uh, and she okay, has done I a fantastic it. job of this, uh, getting these things for you and putting each one in the correct place. Thanks, Cal. Um, I I do admit to a slight compulsive uh, uh, disorder. I absolutely have to research anything that I put on our store before we do it, and the reason I'm researching is because these are specifically made for us. As a doctor, as a nurse midwife, as a nurse practitioner, what would I grab if I had to leave my house? And the very first kit I put together was our family medical bag, and that was really what I call our kitchen sink. And it took me months and months of readjusting quantities, uh, different items, making sure that I cover the most likely medical issues that you could face in times of trouble, if you had to grab one medical bag and leave your house, this is the one that I would take. And so, like the dental kit, you know, I spent a lot of time researching what do other dental kits have. I had these reviewed by dentists. I especially had just not even two weeks ago, a dentist come to my booth. We started talking. I said, listen, I have this dental kit. I want you to look at this every item, and please tell me what you would change. And he had absolutely no suggestions. I could not believe it. I was floored. So we really, really do our research and make sure that you have enough of the important items, that you don't have a bunch of junk. There's nothing that's plastic in there. If I can get you a metal instrument, it is a metal instrument. In fact, the extractors could be easily used as a weapon if you needed to because they are quite heavy. <laughs> you could do some damage <laughs> to somebody if you needed to. So we're not talking about lightweight, cheap. The bandage scissors are not those plastic EMT things. Um, these are solid stainless steel. Again, they're heavy. They have weight to them. Uh, they're not hospital grade because hospital grade, you know, several hundred dollars. And right. then, obviously, I would be putting together a, a bag that costs a few thousand dollars. But they are very strong. They're very durable. And they will cut off jeans if you need to. They will take care of your, your situation, and they're not going to break. One thing I just want to say, I, 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 I don't want this to sound like a commercial. You know that we, yeah, free, we freely <laughs> publish. And if you go to the store, you can see the exact content list of every single thing that's on there 
If you, uh, we don't care if you buy any of our kits. I just want you to have the items that are on that list. And not only that, but I put the quantity, the size, what it's made of, um, every description possible, and there's a printer-friendly button. So you can print it out and make your own kit. The only thing that's really important to us, because we can't be everywhere and help everyone, is that people have this equipment. And perhaps you don't have the knowledge or the skills to use everything you get. It's likely that if you build a community and you interact with other people, which we really, really emphasize, you can't do this alone, a community is probably going to have somebody that knows how to use these things. So having it in your home doesn't mean that you know how to use every single thing, but you probably will run into somebody who does. And you can trade something that you have for their skills. You can help each other. And so this is about helping our community survive. Right. Whenever I first started doing this, and, of course, mine was the same thing. I started after uh, Katrina and Rita, and I started buying gear then. And I bought tons of stuff, tons of medical supplies and stuff like that. And I started teaching myself about it. But at the same time, there were tons of stuff I didn't know anything about. And uh, I remember my wife at the time and other folks saying, what are you going to do with all this stuff? And I said, you know what? I said, I may not know how to use this, but I'm teaching myself. But not only that, I said, there are, there are a lot of doctors and there are a lot of veterinarians out in the community. And, and they may know how to do it, but they're not going to be able to do anything if they don't have anything to do it with. So at least I'll have the I'll have the gear to do it. And I want That's to make right. sure folks know that uh, they can go to your website, uh, doomandbloom.net, and uh, they've got a store there, and you can get all kinds of stuff. You can get the uh, the personal trauma kits. You can get uh, the family kits. You can get DVDs on how to uh, do suturings. DVDs on collapsed medicine. Uh, right. There's a ton of information there that uh, that Doc and Nurse Amy have have put in a lot of time figuring out <laughs> for you. So you don't have to you don't have to start at square one. You can start at square ten by grabbing some of their gear and grabbing some of their information products, uh, so that you can get a jump ahead on this. And that's at exactly. www.doomandbloom.net. And not only that, but all their shows are there too. All the shows that uh, where we touched on things tonight, we just talked very topically about them. But you can go there and you can listen to hour-long shows on wound care, on water treatment, on uh, on traumatic injuries, and on and on. They've got several years of hour-long shows that you can listen to for more in-depth coverage of these. And I love this because I, uh, I download you guys' shows, and I don't get uh, – radio coverage or anything else where I'm at. And I don't listen to that stuff anyway because because it just aggravates me. So what I do is instead is I download you guys' shows onto my iPod, and then that's what I listen to during the day when I work. Oh, well, that's very sweet of you. But, again, I, I just want to emphasize that the knowledge is is what we started doing. You know, we had a simple website, Blogspot, um, it was simply about sharing knowledge. In fact, the only reason we wrote the book 
and I know this sounds funny, but the truth is people were writing us and telling us that their ink cartridges were costing more than if we just put a book together. So the truth <laughs> is we wrote this, <laughs> we actually wrote the book specifically because people said it costs less than the ink cartridges. So that, you know, this is just how it kind of grew from it. So we're really, really into knowledge. Um, the dental kit, just to mention one thing, I include the book called Where There Is No Dentist. That comes with your book. And it comes with Dr. Bones' dental chapter. And it comes with the insert from um, a product called Axel, A-C-T-C-E-L, it is an oral hemostatic. If you have to pull a tooth, it's hemorrhaging. It's kind of like quick clot or Celox or Celox, um, but it's specifically for mucous membranes. Um, so it, it, there's an insert directly from the manufacturer on how to use that. So, you know, I really tried to think of, of all the knowledge that we can put. The family medical bag comes with nine different booklets, um, how to and it's how to use the uh, the items that are in that bag. You've left your house, and this book doesn't say, "Oh, gee, go to the grocery store and buy X, Y, Z, and then you can take care of it." It's specifically what's in that bag and how to use it quickly. And I bet it gives the exact location of that thing in the bag. <laughs> well, no, actually, it, it, it doesn't. Everyone should get to know their bag. Whenever you make your bug out bag or or, or make your medical bag, you should know where everything is. But it does tell you only what's in that bag and your options for your specific issue. Right. And you know what? It, every, every person is a little bit different, and so it's important for them to adjust the bag so that it makes sense for them. Well, that is, that is a fantastic system that you guys have set up. And uh, once again, I encourage you guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming on this radio show and, and it was an honor. share your knowledge with the folks here. But I want to encourage the listeners uh, that once you listen to the show here, and I've given you the information on where they're located, I'd like you to go to their website and and look at the information that they're that they put out free of charge on their website. And start listening to that. Start start your education because I think that's one of the most important factors of being able to care for yourself and your loved ones that we brought up tonight. And that's knowing what to do. Uh, that's going to be the most important thing that you're going to do rather than stand around and wonder how to help somebody is learn now what you can do to treat or prevent uh, illness or injury and then start preparing now. Start putting together your kits or buying your kits. Start uh, getting your bandages together. Start getting uh, medicines and stuff like that together. And it just doesn't have to be for the end of the world. It just has to be for a cessation of services, which just about everybody in their lifetime is going to experience, whether it's a tornado or a hurricane or flooding. Just about everyone is going to experience uh, at least a temporary of services, and you better be ready for that. Doc and Nurse Amy, I want to thank you again. Uh, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, and I look forward to seeing you guys again in person at the next expo. That would be awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the, the chance to speak to your listeners, and again, 
don't forget the Band-Aids. Knowledge right. is power. I have no doubt you will save lives one day. All right. Thank you, guys. Remember doomandbloom.net, and uh, and we'll see you guys uh, uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Nurse Amy. You're welcome. Have a great night. You too.
satellites in the skies broadcasting lies to billions of people. Camels on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. 